Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, isn't that just peachy? Michigan State went down to Georgia and took down Pittsburgh to win its first Peach Bowl in school history. It's the culmination of a remarkable, unexpected season for the Spartans, finishing 11-2 after entering the season with very limited preseason expectations, at least nationally. Uh, We will discuss the game, the latest news, and check in with the top 10 MSU basketball team on episode 62 of MLive's Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion, Kyle Austin, and Matt Wenzel with you on Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. It's the first episode of 22. Happy New Year, Spartan Nation. And man, is it a good time to be green with the football and basketball teams both flying high and playing at a very high level. Happy to be here. I hope everyone had a great New Year. I had a fantastic time down in Atlanta. Uh, Matt, how was your trip down south? Pretty, Pretty cool stadium they got there in the ATL, huh? Yeah, I mean, the stadium was really cool. It was impressive. I'll admit I am an idiot. I didn't even know it had retractable roof until the day of the game when they announced that it would be it would status on open or closed would be determined by the weather. I was thinking old Georgia Dome or whatever, where I, whatever. I, I'm, I'm a moron, but no. Uh, good trip. It was 70 some degrees every day, pretty much. Um, but unlike you, I was working the entire time. So I'm <laughs> sure I did not have nearly as much fun. Probably not. I, actually, I can guarantee you didn't since we got spoken to security, uh, spoken to by security a couple times, but nothing serious. Just, you know, settle down, relax. It's fine. Everything's going to be OK. Uh, the, the, the Spartans were hyped down there. But yeah, I mean, it was nice to have the roof, o- roof open. I mean, when I first got down there, it was kind of rainy and I uh, wasn't sure if like the roof was going to be open. But you definitely felt like I mean, it was just the circle in the top, but you definitely could feel a breeze coming in there, which was nice. And it was nice to have the roof open considering, uh, you know, the COVID concerns, I guess, to get a little more airflow going in there. I appreciated that. You're shaking your head. Well, you couldn't feel the breeze where you were. There's no, there's no breeze in the press box with when it's Ah. blast off. So um, no, no, no breeze at all. Bummer. They don't have like the sliding windows like most places. No, no, but it's very, very nice. So that's the second NFL stadium Michigan state's played in this year. And, you know, to go with hard rock stadium and, this one is considerably newer and nicer. So I, I liked it a lot. I thought it was a great stadium, great venue. Um, no complaints. Did they have a nice food spread up there? Did they, the yeah, Chick-fil-A yeah, it was maybe? good. They, they had like, no, uh, well, they were pumping Chick-fil-A at us all week. But uh, <laughs> no, they had like a regular dinner with pork chops. But there was uh, an ice cream sundae bar that others were hitting up. And then, of course, there was Chick-fil-A as the uh, halftime meal. So wait, wait, you uh, sat out the ice cream sundae bar? Is that what you said? Yes, I set out the ice cream Sunday bar. 
who made the most trips to the ice cream sunday bar was it you well, graham graham started <laughs> with it uh graham uh graham i think that was his uh i think he skipped the dinner to go straight to the, the um sunday so <laughs> oh that's cool that's fun kyle what's up how was your new year uh pretty good uh nice little uh new year's day in chicago uh dodging some storms but made it okay Saw saw a good basketball game and uh ready for for a lot more here in the next couple of weeks yeah we drove back too and it was it was pretty much smooth sailing a lot of rain uh going through the mountains in in tennessee but then uh of course you know going like 45 miles an hour it was like as soon as you hit pier michigan the snow just blowing sideways across the road like it's just like uh, Oh, welcome back. Me and my dad were like, what the heck are we doing? It's 70 something degrees down here in Atlanta. Super present, pleasant, but here we go back to Michigan. Why do we live here? I don't know. Uh, I guess we've been asking that myself that question for a long time now. Um, but let's get to the game. It was, it was a great game. Michigan state uh, jumps ahead early, then falls behind storms back to win 31 21 in dramatic fashion. Um, you know, it was, like I said, an early strike for the offense with Jaden Reed and the offense goes stagnant for, you know, a quarter and a half, maybe longer. Um, but in the end, uh, Peyton Thorne makes some clutch throws, wide receivers make some plays, and then Cal Halliday seals it with a dramatic interception. Um, and Matt, I mean, like pretty much how Michigan state's been operating all year. I mean, just, it's corny to say, but this keep chopping mantra that the team has had, um, never get too down neutral thinking, um, you know, this game was pretty much a microcosm of what we've seen from this team all season. Yeah. I mean, it is, like you said, cheesy, um, they keep chopping thing. Um, but it, I mean, the, the game was kind of a microcosm of the season. You know, they were, I mean, they should have been up by multiple scores going into halftime. Instead, they're trailing against the third string quarterback. The offense can't move the ball. Defense is doing pretty well. And then, you know, trailing by 11 and almost midway point of the fourth quarter, and they scored 21 straight to close it. Obviously, clutch plays by, you know, catches by Connor Hayward and, and Jaden Reed. Great fourth quarter bounce back from Peyton Thorne after a pick and a, and a you know, a fumble return for a touchdown. And then Cal Halliday seals it with the, uh, you know, the interception return for a touchdown. So, you know, and Mel addressed that after the game. He said he thought that that was very indicative of how the season went. And I, I agree. It was, uh, not the cleanest performance by any stretch. Um, a game they probably should have won rather comfortably, given the situation, especially with Pitt at QB. But um, all in all, they, they hung in there. They pulled it out. Um, great way to cap a season that none of us saw coming, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it was it was weird, like sitting in the stands and I, I wasn't really on social media a ton, like obviously being in the stadium. But I got the sense like when I got home or like when I was sort of looking at uh, Twitter after the game that fans were like, they were freaking out about Peyton Thorne and the offense and, and how they weren't scoring against this pit team after jumping out on top. And I can tell you at least where I was in the stands and in my group, like maybe it's cause I'm a season ticket holder and I've watched this team come back a bunch this year, but like, I wasn't concerned. Like I was never concerned sitting in the stands. I never got the feeling that like, Oh, there's no chance we're going to come back and get this. Like it's easy to say now, but like when they were down, you know, 24 to 10 and they were driving uh, before they scored the, the Connor Hayward touchdown I was like, they got them right where they want them. And I, and I really meant it. Like I really felt that way that this team, I really believed that they were going to come back and win just because we've seen it all year. Now it helps that Pitt's offense kind of got bogged down because they have a third string quarterback in there. Maybe it's a different story if Nick Patty remains in the game and, and can play. Um, but like, I was pretty confident Michigan state was going to win this game the whole time, even when they were down, you know, heading into the fourth quarter. I mean, did you have that feeling or I mean, you're not a fan. So I, I mean, I'm not- just kind of watching the game. 
Yeah, I mean, I never thought felt like they were out of it. Now, <laughs> if that the drive the the Hayward score, if if they hadn't converted and that drive up came, came up empty, then yeah, they'd have been really up against it. I mean, they were in a tough spot because Matt Coglin obviously is not fully healthy. We saw him before the game; he wasn't initially kicking during warm ups. Then he came out and was kicking lightly off a tee about ten yards, about six six seven feet high in the air, and. You know, he made one from what 36 and then missed from 33. And that was it. You know, they were Mel was done messing around with field goal attempts. And, you know, that does alter the outlook. So had they not scored on that drive, then, yeah, they would have probably been in a little bit of trouble. But um, no, I never never felt like they were out of the out of the game. They just, you know, with the weapons they have, you know, with Reed, uh, with Naylor, we saw the difference. You know, those two being back on the field together makes it was just, you know, can't forget this was the only game all season. They didn't have Kenneth Walker in the backfield. And when you try a flea flicker without Kenneth Walker in the backfield <laughs> against one of the nation's top run defenses, guess what? They don't really bite for that fake because they don't care. Right. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it, but again, like what we've seen all season, like how many plays were like, and I think we talked about it in the Michigan game, you know, there's the Nebraska game, some other games where you're like the Penn State game where you're like, if they don't make this play, they probably lose the game. And, and time and time again, guys step up, make the plays. That catch by Connor Hayward was absurd. I mean, that was ridiculous in traffic. Uh, he had just reached up and snatched it. Jaden Reed, Trey Mosley made some big uh, catches in traffic. Um, so, I mean, it was. Just, I think it was just indicative of this team's makeup and kind of how they've operated all season. Uh, I mean, if you look at the numbers, Peyton Thorne, you know, much maligned in the first half, but finishes, you know, 29 for 50, 354 yards, three touchdowns, the interception. Um, Jalen Naylor goes six for 108 with a, with a sick, smooth, uh, you know, one-handed grab down the middle. Jaden Reed, six for 80 and two touchdowns. Trey Mosley, five for 56. Connor Hayward, six for 37 and a touchdown. Malik Carr had a good uh, big run to start the game. Um, so you were getting contributions in the passing game all over the place. Now, concerning in the rushing game, obviously, without without Kenneth Walker, Jordan Simmons gets 16 carries to lead the way, just goes for 23 yards. Elijah Collins, six for 15. Harold Joyner, two for eight. So I don't know. Like, I don't like Jalen Berger is obviously going to be in this rushing equation next year. Um, but to me, this game told me that they need help in the rushing game. I mean, and and he's I think a lot is going to be expected of Jalen Berger coming into next year. Well, don't expect him to be Kenneth Walker, first of all. But no, no, no. Yeah, not I, that, mean, but... I mean, I thought even if they had Walker, was he going to rush for 200 yards against Pitt? Probably not. You know, they have a they have a good run D. So this was nothing about that really surprised me at all. And I wasn't at the last podcast where I said it wouldn't be, you know, we were talking about the Peach Bowl. Expect, don't be surprised if Peyton Thorne sets career highs. Yeah. I mean, career highs in attempts, completions, passing yards. So none of that. I mean, that. I thought that was kind of an obvious thing going to the game. Michigan State is not going to completely abandon the run, clearly, but were they going to have keep you know marching the ball down the field with with Collins or Simmons or Joiner? No, <laughs> that none of that surprised me. So yeah, they they will have to address the running game, but you know they had to do that last year when they were 122nd out of 127 teams in the nation. So don't expect uh burger to be Walker, but you know, I, I, you know, he'll be on the mix and we'll see what they can do without, without him in the backfield. But overall, not, nothing that really happened in, in that kind of equation surprised me. What were uh, some of your observations from the game, Kyle? Um, I mean, just kind of like you, like it, it felt to me like they were like, they were going to win. I think we've seen enough games this year, um, you know, whether down in the second half, whether it's Nebraska or Michigan or Penn State, um, where it's just a team that knew how to win at the end. And I think that um, 
combined with the fact that Pitt, like you said, playing with a third stringer really wasn't going to be doing huge things on offense. It, it just felt like a matter of time before the offense figured it out and broke through. Um, and they did. And, you know, um, just to, um, it's nice to see, you know, remarkable seasons like that end um, in kind of a fitting way. And I thought that was a very fitting end uh, to a season like that. Yeah. yeah and Connor it, Hayward, you know, for all he's been through in his career, all the ups and downs, being in the portal, taking a bunch of grief for fans when the rushing attack couldn't, you know, get together to move to tight end and H back this year and have the season he had and, you know, cap it with a touchdown catch to spark a rally in the fourth quarter against his dad's former program in front of all of his friends and family near home. I thought that was a pretty cool moment for him to end the uh, season his and his Michigan State career on. Absolutely. I, I mean, he, I mean, I compare him to like sort of Matt McQuaid in terms of like fan sentiment in a player who went from like, Oh my gosh, what is he doing? He's terrible. Oh, get him out of here. He's got to transfer to like, by the time he leaves, he's a crowd favorite. So it's like, it, it's just, it's just kind of a reminder that like these kids are kids and they're there for four years and in a lot of cases and they need to develop their game. And once they do, uh, you can see them, you know, really jump up. But I mean, I think the position move did have a lot to do with Connor Hayward's success this season. Um, but I mean, credit to him for, for embracing the role and, and really taking advantage of it because he made a lot of big plays this year, whether it was making tough catches, memorable, tough plays that kind of embody the program. You know, the Nebraska play comes to mind uh, or blocking. Uh, how many times mm-hmm. have we seen Connor Hayward? That's the reason I call him Hammerhead, me and my dad, but he doesn't like that nickname. The family yelled at me for calling him Hammerhead. But uh, like, I thought it was a hilarious, uh, you know, he's just like a a tough, hard-nosed player that got it done in a lot of ways this year. So it was, it was really cool to see. I mean, anything else from the game, obviously huge for, for uh, Cal Halliday to seal it there again. I mean, we've seen this all year from the defense, opportunistic plays, opportunistic turnovers um, that obviously seals it. And it was, the place was going wild there. Um, but I mean, if we want to spread it out and just sort of look at the season as a whole for, for major takeaways on the season, I mean, all three of us are on record. You can go back and listen to the pods for us saying that we thought it was ludicrous that Michigan State was picked last in the Big Ten, uh, you know, preseason. We thought with, you know, some of these transfers they were bringing in, they were going to be way better than people nationally expected. I don't think any of us thought 11 and two was possible. Um, but Matt, I mean, what's just kind of your big takeaway from the season as a whole? I mean, obviously unexpected. Yeah, I mean, I thought that, you know, and Mel addressed this after the game, you know, he was asked about if, you know, cause all, you know, constantly this season when you're doing well and better than expected, he, he was asked, you know, what the team's ceiling is. And he just would say, you know, he wants this team to reach its full potential. So he was asked about that after the game and said, you know, he thought that this team emptied its bucket, that it gave everything it had. And I, and I agree with that. I think that's, that's what you got on this team. You know, we've already talked about the comeback wins and, you know, making plays when you need to, or else you're going to lose the game. And, we saw that all season. I mean, there's two games that stand out. Purdue, you got burned. Um, and then, and you know, Ohio State was non-competitive. But other than that, yeah, I mean, this was, you know, a, a fantastic season for them. Better than I expected. You know, I think I had seven and five going in and, and you know, thought that was, uh, you know, obviously on the high end of what some other people were projecting. But, yeah, great year. I think they got as, did as well as they pretty much possibly could for the most part. Uh, Mel did a great job in the transfer portal. Doesn't hurt when you pull a Heisman candidate out of there. And then in other areas, and, and you know, it's it sets the expectations as higher. You know, a year ago, you know, coming out or heading into this season, would you have anticipated going into turning the calendar to 2022 and having the expectations, which are, you know, they can say it every year, but I mean, whether you believe it or not, it's realistic. It's different. Is you know, this team should be 
expected to compete for a big East, a big 10 East division, uh, you know, first, first place in the East division of spot in Indy every, you know, just about every single year, you know, which, you know, if you're in that conversation, you're in the playoff conversation. I think that's a fair expectation to have moving forward, especially when you pay a coach 95 million. I would anticipate a, I mean, being ranked going into next year, despite the losses, honestly. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's crazy to think where we were a year ago for, you know, it's just, it's just nuts. I mean, um, so, I mean, Jaden Reed, obviously a huge part in the game uh, and we really got to, I mean, Jaden Reed's been spectacular all season. I mean, whether it's been in punt return, making plays in the receiving game, uh, going up and getting, you know, mossing dudes, as we like to say these days, he, he did it against Michigan on the two point conversion. He did it in the snow against Penn state. He did it twice in this game, including right off the jump to give Michigan state the early lead. You know, Jaden Reed has Michigan State fans and people like us who have watched every game know how good he's been this year. But I think nationally, he's he's kind of been overshadowed a bit uh, because of what Kenneth Walker did. Um, but I mean, Jaden Reed, we're going to talk about, you know, guys going to the NFL here in a bit. He's obviously got a decision still to make. It'll probably come right after we stop recording this uh, per usual. But like, you know, like he is a he is a plus player. I mean, he is an above average wide receiver. And if he came back next year, he would probably be the guy uh, on the offense. He'd be the guy getting all the preseason accolades. I think a little overshadowed this year, uh, despite the big plays that he made. Um, so if you guys want to shift to the to the NFL conversation and guys who are going and guys who are staying, Matt, you can kind of run it down. But, um, you know, Jaden Reed is the one we don't really know about. I guess Xavier Henderson, too. But, I mean, how do you how do you size these guys up in their seasons? Yeah, I mean, Reed was, uh, you know, completely outstanding this season. Um, I thought him and, and and Naylor would make for one of the better duos in the Big Ten, and they were, you know, even with Naylor missing the last four games of the regular season. But Reed led them all year. You know, he, he makes plays that I don't think you see most six-foot-tall receivers make. You mentioned the jump balls, the 50-50s, which after the Peach Bowl, <laughs> he called the 50-50s uh, 100% for him because uh, – <laughs> Love that. <laughs> so Love gotta that. Like, you got to like the confidence there. It's what you expect in a receiver. But, no, he was outstanding all season long. Um, you know, he did pretty much everything they asked him to. They, obviously, the punt return against Nebraska, that's the difference in the game right there. Um, plays against Michigan, Penn State, uh, Pittsburgh, all that stuff. So, he was outstanding. And, I mean – he, he said before the Peach Bowl, I asked him about his future, and he said he won't talk about it till after the Peach Bowl. So, of course, I asked him after the Peach Bowl um, when we were still in Atlanta, and he said no decision yet. So, I mean, I would be – personally, I'd be surprised if he stays uh, just based on, you know, he's he spent four years in, in college. You know, he, you know, he sat out a year after transferring from Western. He transferred to Michigan State because he wanted to prove himself at a high level. He's done that, you know. He, you know, his – he topped a thousand yards receiving. I think it's ninth most receiving yards in a uh, um, season in Michigan state history. I think six most touchdown catches. I mean, if he wants to stay, I mean, obviously I'll gladly bring him back and that's his decision to make. I would just be surprised if that was the case personally. So the we'll see, despite that... what MSU tweeted on cryptically <laughs> the other day. The, the only thing that gave me pause in that though, and, and I didn't hear it live. So you can, um, you can tell me if I'm misinterpreting that, but the Peyton Thorne quote about hopefully I get to play with him more. Um, yeah. Yeah. Peyton is a very thoughtful guy. He doesn't seem like a guy who just kind of spouts off and, and um, I don't know that quote made me wonder if he was hinting at something he knew and we didn't know. Um, and, um, but other than that, I mean, I agree. Like, he has a lot of reasons to go, but just that one quote from Peyton gave me a little pause. 
I agree with you, Kyle. I almost forgot about that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. When, when Peyton said he hopes he could throw more balls to him next year, I think everybody's ears perked up because um, in case you live under a rock, those two uh, know each other <laughs> and go back a long time. What? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, that that at least indicated, like you said, Peyton's a thoughtful guy. He doesn't just throw stuff out there. So maybe, maybe he truly is undecided. And that was kind of his his friend just putting a little – little needle in them and a little, you know, little pressure to maybe consider, uh, you know, the decision a little more uh, before he finalizes it. But yeah, I mean, if, if he goes pro, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to blame him. At least they hey, sure as hell shouldn't. Did you guys know that uh, Clayton Kershaw and Matthew Stafford went to the same high school? Yeah, did, did you it's know all, that? all news um, to me. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it certainly can't, it certainly can't hurt that, that the quarterback is your BFF, you know, I mean, maybe it's just a no, little motiva- and- extra motivation. No, we saw the chemistry those two have together. It's pretty obvious, you know, I and mean, there's those plays where, you, you know, there'd be split out, you know, you know, so two point conversion or whatever situation you see Jaden Reed in single coverage, and, you know, especially when you get close to the end zone, you're like, I'm just going to throw the damn ball to him. I mean, what, what more do they, what more do you need to trust than those two? I, I think that, you know, worked out quite well for them this season, to say the least. The, the Lions' best play for a decade was throw it up to Calvin Johnson. So, exactly. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, and Calvin Johnson was what six four and you know six five and had like a forty five inch vertical. <laughs> complete so. freak of nature, but you know, yeah, um, Reed Reed does quite well for his size. Uh, it's it's impressive what he can do. Absolutely, but uh, I mean Jalen Naylor, we already know he's he's going to the NFL. Uh, the other the other star receiver here. I was a little bit surprised by this move. I thought maybe he could come back. I mean, not to say that he doesn't have the skills, but I guess the biggest thing I think, and I'm just projecting here, but he's had trouble with injuries and throughout his career um, and multiple injuries. He's healthy. Now he's back from the injury. He just put up a really good performance on a big stage. So I, I'm not a draft expert. I don't, I don't know where he's projected to go. I would imagine later rounds, if at all. Um, but I, I can understand him, you know, coming off a good performance. He's been in East Lansing for a long time now. He was recruited by the D'Antonio regime. Um, so, I mean, like, I can see just wanting to move on now that you're healthy and you put some good film on tape. Yeah, I, I wasn't surprised at all in his decision. I was actually talking with a colleague on Tuesday night in Atlanta, and I basically had said I thought he would leave, and, and this individual kind of gave me a little bit of grief for it, but um, no, I mean, yeah, again, the injury thing, like he spent four years in college, he was healthy for one of those seasons. And that was a seven game COVID season. So, you know, he had 12, only played 12 games over his first two years, broken foot that second year. Um, And then, you know, the hand thing this year. So no, I mean, he's put it out there on tape. I mean, you see what he can do. He's another guy. He's he's not going to get any taller. He's got the speed, but you know, you, you risk another year of, of injuries and I, I don't know, I, I, I can definitely see why it'd be time to go for him, go to the combine. If you, you know, assuming you get an invite and see what kind of numbers you can put up, give yourself a pro future. Elsewhere, Kevin Jarvis has uh, the lineman has declared for the NFL draft and we're still waiting on Xavier Henderson, correct? Yeah. And Jarvis's absence from the peach bowl is now explained or it was <laughs> the other day when he, uh, when he declared for the draft and goes Saturday night. Um, yeah, another guy that, you know, injuries in, in his past, you know, he's, you know, he made, a, I think, 10 starts at right guard as a true freshman, which was a record for true freshman offensive lineman under the D'Antonio era. And then um, injury plague second year, they move him to left tackle three games and he, and he gets an injury, a knee injury or whatever it was. They never announced that cost him the rest of the season. And yeah, so I, I, I can see, you know, another guy who's been there 
for, for plenty of time. He's been there since 17 and he's played, he's, you know, I mean, he, he sacrificed his, his, for the program, you know, he was, he's, I think naturally a right guard and he moved to both left tackle and right tackle because they needed him at those spots. So yeah, I can see him, you know, it's, it's just time to go if, if that's the way he feels about it. So good luck to him. And Henderson, we're waiting on. So yeah, and Henderson, yeah. He was, you know, before the season, I was always like Xavier's um, honesty, but he was very candid in Indianapolis at Big Ten Media Days that when asked about the COVID year that, yeah, he's got it available and he thinks Mel would let him take it, but he did not plan on, on doing so. And he had kind of continued that. He kind of backed up that stance again. I can't remember when. It was, it was at some point past the midway point of the season, I believe. And then November didn't go so well. Um, and you know, when asked about it before the peach bowl, he softened his stance and said, you don't know. And then he asked about it the last time we talked to him before the bowl, he was basically like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to talk about that right now. Um, so we'll see, um, you know, overall, you know, this is a, you know, a three-year starter and guy's been playing for four years, he played in every game for four years, I believe. Um, so we'll see if he, if he still wants to just, uh, you know, see what his stock can be and, and go for the draft or, or come back and see if he can improve in the final year. So it was a bit of a little bit of a rough November for him in the secondary overall. We'll probably find out right after the pod, uh, of course. Um, okay. Well, I guess I guess that's most of it on, on on the Peach Bowl and sort of looking back on the season. We're gonna get to basketball in a second. Uh, we got a little bit of news, Roll, right, Matt? Yeah, some items. minor stuff. So the the portal continues. Um, if you were watching the game, if you remember beforehand, Mel had said, you know, guys that of the. 13 at that point, 13 players who'd entered the portal between the end of the regular season and the bowl game, you, you know, it was all but three that were expected to be available. I think it was seven that were dressed for warmups with two more who came out. Um, but one of the notable one of the guys who wasn't available for the uh, Peach Bowl was Michael Dowell, and we found out why. Um, he, he committed to Pitt uh, the day after the bowl game, so you probably don't want that guy um, playing for you in the bowl game against <laughs> the team, the program he's going to transfer to. Uh, like Michael Dowell, really like the Dowell family, the brothers, the parents, they're great people, but maybe that's the time you say, all right, let's, let's go in separate directions. But um, he committed to Pitt, then defensive tackle Kyle King on New Year's Eve entered the portal and yesterday committed to Ball State. So that was a pretty fast process. He's an Indiana native, so he's, he's going home. Uh, but I th- that King, you know, I thought he had a future. You know, he was a rotational guy. I know Michigan State's deep at defensive tackle and you know, those guys should all be back next year. But um, so I, I wouldn't say, you know, a big surprise. If, you know, anybody wants more playing time, I get it. Um, but he was a guy that I thought, you know, was a, was a solid contributor. And he was in there late against Pittsburgh. So it's not like he didn't have a role, but um, looking for something else. I get it. All right. Well, let's move on to basketball. I mean, there's going to be a lot more basketball conversation here. Kyle, it's it's finally your time to shine. Uh, now that football season is in the rear view, we can finally, you know, focus 100% on basketball. Obviously, we'll keep up on the football news, recruiting and whatnot. There's some rumors out there about some potential late additions to the class. We'll keep an eye on all that, obviously. Um, but I mean, basketball has been off to a good start. I mean, Michigan State is 12 and two coming off wins against High Point and Northwestern uh, last week. Only losses to two of the elite teams in the country, Kansas and Baylor. I think they're at 10th in the AP pool, 18th in Ken Palm. Um, and, you know, it's they're they're coming around. I mean, they've, they, not to say that last week they didn't have some struggles because I thought they did um, defensively and, you know, with some consistency stuff. But 
and Kyle, you can take this conversation any way you want, but I think the biggest story from the last week or so has been Gabe Brown and him sort of emerging as a potential elf on this team. I mean, we've been talking about the balance all year, um, but I mean, I, I do think they need to have at least one or two guys that are like the guy when they need a shot. And we saw it against Northwestern yesterday with a couple of big threes, but 15, 15, 14, 24, and 20 the last five games. Uh, Gabe Brown seems to be emerging as, as the go-to scorer, at least on this team. Yeah, I think so. And, um, that's notable because we talked about in the preseason, how that job was, was really up for grabs after Aaron Henry. And, um, it, it was not clear at all, uh, to me, at least beforehand that Gabe Brown was going to be that guy. He was certainly a candidate and maybe the leading candidate, but, uh, I thought Max Christie could be that, you know, I thought maybe Tyson Walker, especially being a point guard could step in, um, and be that guy. Um, and those guys have both been good in their own rights. But yeah, it, it's pretty clear that it's Gabe Brown. Uh, he's a little different than some other guys in that role to me because, you know, he's much more of a catch and shoot guy. You know, he's not going to put it on the floor, take it off the dribble, create something for himself the way Cassius Winston would have um, and to a lesser extent Aaron Henry. But um, he certainly uh, is not shy about taking the big shot. Um, and that's something I think you want in a guy. Uh, I asked Tommy Joe about it on Sunday at Northwestern. And he joked that, you know, Gabe's always like to take every shot he can. And, and you know, um, <laughs> but the, the evolution is that, you know, as I wrote in a story on, on MLive today, I guess a freshman, you would roll your eyes because he would come off the bench and within 10 seconds, he would be launching a three early in the shot clock, you know, maybe guarded, uh, just shooting every chance he got. And that used to, have time as you're pulling his hair out, but now he takes shots. He still takes a fair amount of shots, but like you're fist pumping now when he takes shots because he's, he's taking big shots when you need him to take big shots. He's being smart about it. Um, he's doing it in rhythm. Um, he's getting to his spots and, uh, yeah, it's been quite an evolution over four years. And, um, uh, he certainly, um, he's taken on that role and they needed somebody too. And, um, you know, Max Christie hasn't, you know, quite gotten there. He's a freshman, um, you know, some other guys aren't quite, um, aren't just quite ready for that role. And I think it's important that they had a guy do that. You know, I know is always big on, Oh, we can kind of be a committee. You don't need an alpha. I, I think you need a guy like that. And I think it's, it's important for this team that Gabe Brown has become that. He either takes a three or takes one dribble and looks to dunk it. But those right. are the two, mm-hmm. the two things in game. I mean, he, I guess that's not that's fair. Efficient. He takes some, yeah. I mean, he <laughs> takes some mid range jumpers too. I shouldn't say that, but, but I mean, that, that is his game getting out and running and looking to end someone's career and draining threes in your face. I mean, he's like the ultimate disrespect player at this point <laughs> in the, in the way that he he can pop you in the face with a, with a shot or just dunk all over you. Um, but I mean, his career, his career pro- progression is interesting to me, him and Marcus Bingham, you know, Bingham, Bingham is, I mean, what's he at? Like 10 and I mean, he's, I just had the stats up, but now I lost it, but he's, uh, I mean, he's averaging three blocks a game. I know that he's, I think he's got about eight rebounds a game and 11 points per game. So, I mean, both those guys are guys that, and we saw without Bingham, what happens against high point where Michigan state plays this aggressive style of defense. They're up in your face, you know, hedging, uh, you know, right up in your face. But I think, you know, those players on that team are on the perimeter are so used to having that safety blanket, right? That, that backstop and Marcus Bingham who can come over and block shots. If the guy gets by them, we saw against high point. Sometimes those guards would get by that initial line of defense and Marble and Sissoko would struggle to sort of emulate what, what, what Marcus Bingham can do. So defensively in particular, I think we've seen how important he is, but just the career progressions of Marcus Bingham and Gabe Brown, it's sort of like a, 
uh, sort of like a unicorn in today's age of, of college basketball where they're four-year players that, you know, steadily improve. I don't know if Bingham steadily improved each year. He's kind of been up and down, I would say. Uh, Gabe Brown's points have gone up each year. I would say he's had improvement in his game each year, but it's just classic Izzo senior breakouts. It is, and, you know, give Gabe Brown a lot of credit because he really, really waited his turn, um, and I think he was – he was talented enough, certainly, to be a starter, um, at least last year, if not the year before. Um, and then kind of got thrown a curveball when Joshua Langford came back. And, you know, in this day and age, I mean, I know this was before immediate eligibility, but a lot of dudes portal when something like that happens. Um, and um, Gabe Brown, um, certainly, I don't think anybody would have blamed him if he said, hey, I've waited long enough here because he he – he certainly did and was kind of your um, too good to be a reserve type of player for too long, but he stuck it out and, um, and, and he's reaping the rewards. I mean, he seemed like a guy that came here and had really high expectations for himself. Um, and I think that was a bit of an adjustment, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's having kind of a typical Michigan state senior year and um, and that's what the teams needed. You know, I mean, you look at the close games that they've, that they pulled out, um, you know, whether it was, I mean, high point wasn't that close, but they were losing at halftime. I mean, they needed some dudes to step up after halftime, uh, Northwestern, uh, you go back before that in the Bahamas, a couple games against Loyola and Connecticut like this to, to me, the biggest mark, one of the biggest marks of this team is that it can, it can win close games. And if it's, uh, and it comes down to the last couple of possessions, um, you know, they've won pretty much every game that's come down, um, that's been close in the last five minutes. And that's, um, that's a credit to a lot of things, but I think I start with Gabe Brown and Marcus Bingham and having the experience and just having been there before and knowing how to win games. And I think that's something that's really important for them right now. Can, I, can I interrupt with a question? Absolutely. Kyle, yeah. when are Keon Coleman and Malik Carr <laughs> going to be in the starting lineup and what positions <laughs> oh, will they be in? <laughs> This has been like an ongoing joke um, for the uh, um, for the beat writers, which is which is I should be made clear it's nothing against Keon and Malik because, um, you know, obviously they're talented players. But there, there, there seems to be this thought ba- thought among um, fans that like these dudes are just going to roll in and start averaging 20 and 10. Um <laughs> which is just no i mean they were going to show up in chicago still with like the football pads on and just drop them at the bench they didn't even go home they just went straight there about it yeah like like, straight there people really (laughs) thought that was going to happen no i actually i i asked i asked tom about it um on monday after practice i mean more so because i keep getting asked the question and i would like to have an answer and he said you know they're going to talk about it um in the next week um listen if they want to come over uh, and play basketball more power to them um, I just feel like I need to kind of set the expectation where it should be. Um, obviously, they're both tremendous athletes. They have basketball backgrounds. Um, the idea that really just about anybody could step into a top 10 team in January in the thick of Big Ten play after not playing basketball really in any form over at least the last, what, nine months or so, and be able to step in and, and contribute on a team of that caliber, you know, midseason like that is just um that it it's quite a stretch um so uh, maybe they come over and and Izzo said that to his credit he said you know um these guys aren't going to be starting for us um so do they want to come over get their feet wet a little bit be practice players um be you know maybe some guys who get some late minutes yeah if that's what they want to do but I I feel like there's an expectation that they're going to be more than that and um, it's nothing against their abilities to just say that it's it's just not realistic I think doing two sports 
um, is very difficult. I think if you're going to pull it off, you either, you have to, frankly, play for a non-bowl football team or, um, or kind of pull double duty in bowl time, but, but to hop into it in January, um, it's, it's a, it's a tall order. Let's just say that. If it was easy, more players would do it. Like these D1 basketball and football recruits in almost all cases dominated in both sports in high school in more, in more occasions than not. So like, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know why fans like see all they want to try and do both. Like a lot of kids have said that. And if it was that easy to do, you know, you get, you get people that pull the Matt Trannon out of the hat. I'm like, you're citing the one example in 26 years of Tom Izzo's coaching career at Michigan state and Matt Trannon. He averaged one point a game in 2003, two in 2004, and he did average, you know, and then uh, four in in 2005 when he's playing 22 minutes a game. So I guess like that was an impact player. He's the one exception, though. He's not the rule. You know, and, right, I think it is. Like, and, and keep in mind, like he played for a bad football team and basically was able to just roll over across the street in November. Like to me, that right. gap, like November versus like early January, like that's huge um, as far as like being able to actually contribute to a team. Dion Dion Sims, one minute and one game in 2009, 2010. Okay. And, and, and Draymond Green is also a tight end. Come on. Like, (laughs) like, let's go. Like Lorenzo uh, guess he played both, but yeah, to your point, I I think it's asking a lot to, to expect somebody to do both. (laughs) All right. Uh, back to the the current. Well, I guess it is a current team, but other positives I know. I mean, Joey players, Hauser players had, currently on the roster. Yes. Yeah. 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 There <laughs> we go. Joey Hauser has picked up his game, which is very encouraging. I mean, 17 and 11 uh, against high point with no turnovers. And then he goes for 10 and nine with one turnover against uh, Northwestern thought he got robbed of a block. I thought he, that was a easily clean block with his left hand there against Northwestern, but he's elevated his game much maligned to start the year. You know, Izzo had to tell the fans to lay off. I think they have laid off uh, somewhat, but his game is also improved. He seems to be getting more confident. I mean, still sometimes yesterday where I think he was a little hesitant to shoot that shot, but I think he knows, I think he's getting more and more confident with how he works within the offense and with these players. And when he can take a confident shot, it's nothing but bottom. My sense with Joey, both watching him and talking to him is that I I think his evolution has been that I think he's tried to stop worrying so much about his offense and his shot. And I think he's focused a lot more on defending and rebounding and passing and seems to have the mindset of I do all those things. Well, that's what I focus on and offensively, whatever comes comes. And I think, I think that's worked out well for him uh, because they have enough offense, you know, with him able to do that. And I think he, that's kind of allowed him to control the things he can control a little bit more. Um, And, you know, I I think overall he's played better. You know, you could look at the plus minus, uh, which is, can be misleading. I, it's not a perfect stat, but I think over the course of several games, it can kind of lead you to know who, who, is just overall making the team better and who is not making the team better. And Joey Hauser is pretty consistently near the top of that list. Like Michigan state is generally playing better when he's on the court. Um, and uh, it's just a testament to, I think everything he's doing, I think he's rebounding. Well, um, I think his defense has come a long way from last year when he was really a liability at times. And would you like him to score more? Would he like to score more? Sure. But um, I think he had to kind of start somewhere. I think he really kind of, um, was struggling a lot there. And I think it was kind of a smart move where there was hammer coaches. who just said, Hey, you know, focus on what you can control. And I think to his credit, he's going out there trying to not worry about his, his point total. And um, yeah, overall playing well. I mean, you can't always look at the box score and tell how he plays, but 
I just see, you know, good basketball player plays out there. Uh, you know, that when they went on that run early second half against Northwestern, Gabe Brown hit those two threes. Go look who set him up for both of those. Those were good, crisp, on-time passes from Joey Howard here both times to, to give Gabe Brown those shots. But, you know, he misses a bunny underneath that was kind of awkward. And, you know, that seems to be what people remember um, because he's just kind of become that guy. There's, you know, Foster left, so somebody had to have that role. And then now it seems to be Joey. But um, mm-hmm. I'm seeing I'm seeing a, a player moving in the right direction. And I'm seeing more positive plays than negative. And I think he's got a, got a good attitude about working through um, his shooting, which is getting better, but, you know, not quite sharp shooting level yet. Absolutely. If you want to look at like maybe negative, maybe not negatives or like concerns, I, th- I think the point guards, they've been able to mix and match between Tyson Walker and AJ Hogard um, between the two of them. I mean, Hogard played pretty well against high point, 10 points, eight assists, but uh, with just the one turnover, but Walker, I think last had a, had a pretty rough week last week. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like uh, they're kind of mixing and matching with the point guards, I would say, which is good that you have two guys that are capable, unlike last year where you basically didn't have any um so it's it's not as like it's doomsday prophecy here but because they're making it work but i do think they need more out of the point card particularly tyson walker when it comes to scoring and we also saw that Madi sissoko in the high point game is still miles away from being ready to play big minutes which while not a concern right now because you have marcus bingham and marble can give you at least quality minutes to put in some energy uh bingham's gonna be gone next year maybe they go out and look in the portal with those two guys and you got jackson kohler coming in but um, I thought Sissoka would be further along than he is at this point. So what are your thoughts on those two things? Uh, first of all, with the point guard thing, I'm going to hit you with a couple advanced stats here. Um, I, I, I came over across the San Ken Palm yesterday and was astounded. AJ Hogard is number one in the country in assist rate, 45.7, wow. which I, I mean, I know he's been good sharing the ball, um, but um, I had no idea he would be number one. And Tyson Walker's number nine. So two point guards, both in the top 10 in assist rate. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Wasn't like the best week of point guard play, but those guys are still getting players the ball where they need to have them, which is what we talked about all last season, all off season. Like that's what last year's point guards weren't able to do, you know, make good on time passes, run the offense, get the ball to where it needs to go. So like baseline, like they're doing what they need to do. Uh, Tyson Walker, um, tweaked his ankle against high point came back and played a lot, but I think that was bothering him. I, I kind of give him a chalk up for that. Uh, Northwestern, I just didn't think was his best game, but uh, I, I think he's going to have another adjustment coming into big 10. I mean, we saw kind of how much the first three, four games of the year were an adjustment for him. I think big 10 is going to be kind of the same thing. I, if I had to guess, I'd say in a week or two, he's um, he's really kind of rolling again. Um, and then Hogard, Yeah. I mean, he's still, um, he's kind of a little bit more of a pull your hair out type with the, the turnovers, you know, late in the first half, he, the whole universe saw him about to dribble into a double team and he dribbled right into it and turned the ball over, um, when they could have had a two for one opportunity. So he, he still has his moments like that. And, and to his credit, he's very open about it and, um, takes, takes the blame and talks about cleaning up his play, but overall compared to what he was last year considerably better um so i think they're on a good spot with their point guard play and and Madi, yeah i i don't mean to like bag on Madi, but i i pointed out his play just because there, there does seem to be the sentiment that like man you give Madi sissoko 20 minutes a game and he's like an all big 10 player and it's like no he use your I, eyes i, I, I get <laughs> the well i it. i guess i understand the excitement a little bit because he'll flash you know and he's incredibly athletic 
Um, and every once in a while, he'll flash these amazing plays that nobody else on the roster is going to make because he is just such a physical specimen, you know. Um, but that's just it's just not enough. You know, I mean, you have to have uh, fundamentals and basics and, you know, understanding of defense and all that. And and that's all coming. Um, you know, he's going to he's going to be a project player. But it was I appreciated the high point game because it, it if you're wondering where my Sissoko was, you can't always tell, you know, in the role that he plays, but I think that was kind of an update. Hey, here's where Mati is. And, you know, he's, he's still got some room to grow. I'm not saying that, you know, um, he, he can't be a good player that, you know, he's not worth it, but um, yeah, hasn't really come along. You know, maybe it's because last year they didn't practice as much COVID. Uh, he missed, you know, Israel will always point out he missed his senior season of high school basketball because of a, uh, with a broken hand. Um, so th- there's reasons um, that he's not as far along, but still a guy that I think has a lot of potential for them. Yeah. I mean, he was a top 50 player coming out of high school and people are ready to give up on Marcus Bingham and look what's happening now. So you just gotta, you gotta give it time. He's, he's very raw is what it is. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's clearly a very steep learning curve for him and you can see him. He gets lost on defense sometimes and you can just tell that it's a work in progress with him uh, to kind of, you know, learn Michigan state systems, which cannot always be easy. I mean, he's not the first guy to come into Michigan state and need some time to develop. So, I mean, we, we just got talk, got done talking about two examples. So uh, just give it time with him. He, he doesn't need to play big minutes this year with Bingham and Marble. Um, but I mean, if, if Marble's game, Marble kind of is what he is. And if Monty's game doesn't really come along, I can't see Jackson Kohler playing big minutes as a freshman. So maybe potentially in the portal uh, for a big man next year, but uh, maybe we'll see. We'll, we'll cross it, that bridge it, when we get there. Yeah. I mean, my initial thought is like, you bring in four centers, you worry about one of them leaving, right? Because um, yeah. those guys are pretty much all centers, but you know, that, that can no, be that's, easy. that's rumor. I mean, that's, yeah. we've, I mean, we've heard that like maybe Enoch changed his mind. Enoch Boyache at Arizona state left because there was four centers on the roster. So yeah. uh, I mean, that can happen. So uh, anything else on the hoops team or should we get out of here? Uh, no, they got a pretty big game on Saturday. Um, right. Yeah. At uh, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, obviously Nebraska, um, Looks like, you know, when, although they took Ohio State to overtime, so um, they're capable. They've got a couple high-scoring guards, although the way they play defense, I think Michigan State will be able to uh, to do what it wants and, and should be able to win that one. And then Michigan, yeah, I know they're struggling, but still thinking you're going to go to Chrysler. I mean, that's still um, – that'll be a good game. Um, I, you know, obviously, I think Michigan is – so should be way better, you know, than it's been. Um, he's not – um, put it together and um, you know if you're Michigan State I think you're worried that they're going to put it together or that you know uh, Houston you know starts to figure it out or Hunter Dickinson remembers who he is or any of those things so um, you know we'll take a closer look at that um, as it comes but um, it, it's in it now certainly not where I thought the first Michigan Michigan State game would be as far as where these two programs are let's put it that way basically flipped from preseason yes. expectations, but Michigan is seven and five. They're still 21 in Ken Palm. So uh, the metrics still like the team. Um, and I'm, I'm pumped to see Bingham versus Dickinson. That yes. that's going to be pretty fun to watch. So uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll obviously talk about the Michigan game next week on the next episode, but uh, I think that'll do it. We got to get out of here. If you could, if you could please like rate and review the podcast, check out our work at them slash Spartans. You know where to find us on the internet. You can hit us up on Twitter, send us emails. Uh, keep asking about those walk-ons, playing big minutes. I know Kyle appreciates it. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, no, uh, that's going to do it. It's, uh, it was a good episode, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for listening. A big win down in the Peach Bowl and the basketball team flying high. So if you're a Michigan State fan, uh, you should be happy now. 
we will see if the good times keep rolling. But either way, we will be here to break it all down. So, Kyle Lawson and Matt Wenzel, I'm Brandon Champion. Thank you once again for listening to MLAP's Spartan Confidential Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Go Green!